Hey, this is Pastor Keenan. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to our Young Adult Podcast. I know you're gonna be blessed because you are choosing to make listening to God's word a priority today. And if you are blessed by this episode, would you consider sharing it with some of your friends? You never know how God could use it in their lives. Well, hey, here comes the sermon. So lean in because God's getting ready to speak to you. I love you. But are you guys ready to jump into the word tonight? Are you ready? Uh, man, I'll tell you what, as I was putting uh, the finishing touches on this message today, um, I've just really felt, I've just really felt stirred and I almost felt like the Lord asked me to leave some breathing room um, in my plan. Okay, does that make sense? I don't know if that makes sense to you. It makes sense to me. Um, so some of the places we're going to go tonight, which happens on a regular basis, okay, um, I don't have a blueprint for is what I'm trying to say. Um, I really do believe that God knew specifically who was going to be here this evening. And I do believe, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. I believe that if you will dare to open up yourself, drop your preconceived ideas and notions at the door and just dare to open yourself up for a second, I promise you, God is going to give you abundantly above all you could ask, think, or even imagine. Okay, I really do believe that God has something, listen to me, not just a blanket statement that he wants to just waft over everybody. Okay, I believe God has something tailor-made, listen to me, tailor-made for you. And there's somebody in this room tonight, you're thinking, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you tonight. For those of you who are thinking you're going to dodge this, you're not going to dodge it. And trust me, you don't want to dodge this. This is not going to be one of those hellfire and brimstone kind of messages. I don't know if you've been around Celebration Church for any length of time, but we're not exactly that kind of church, okay? We're, we're all about heaven and what Jesus has done for you, man. So I just want to put you, I don't know who this is for, but I just feel like putting somebody at ease right now. Take a deep breath and just be at ease. You are not about to get told how crappy you are. You're not about to be reminded of your past. You're not about to be reminded of all your sins, okay? I'm about to remind you of the one who overcame all your sins, and his name is Jesus Christ, Amen. And he loves you and he's got a plan for your life, okay? That was worth the price of admission and tonight's free. So there we go. <laughs> hey, if you have a Bible, would you turn to John 10, 10 with me? John 10, 10. Um, if you've been around for a minute, we've been in a series uh, that we're calling Filling Full. Filling Full. And I think the, uh, uh, the phonetic sound of that filling, and it sounds like feeling, I think that's, uh, that's purposeful. Because when you're filling full, when God is filling you to the full, you will feel full. And for many of us tonight... I think that is probably one of the biggest annoyances in life, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. And listen to me, your relationship with yourself. Can I just pop a bubble with you real quick? Your relationship with God and your relationship with yourself are synonymous. Now, I am not, listen to me, for all of you guys who are like, oh, my heresy flags are going up. I am not saying that you are God. So I'm not saying that you having a relationship with God is you having a relationship with you. I'm saying that you were made in the image of God. And what we are going to talk about tonight, I'm preaching before I preach, okay? I am giving you nuggets before I even get there, okay? I'm just excited about some of the stuff. Man, I'm here to tell you tonight, I want, I want to let the cat out of the bag, and I really want to be candid tonight. I really want to be candid. Because the truth is this, I never, I never preach anything that the Lord is not preaching to me. That is something I am bound and determined to do. I am never out to just find some trendy little topic, okay? If you notice, I don't really teach on relationships that often. People are like, you know, when are we going to do a relationship series? I don't know. <laughs> when the Lord starts burning me about relationships, okay? But right now, 
Right now, what the relationship that is on fire inside of me and the relationship that once it does get lit on the inside of you is going to turn your entire world upside down is my relationship with God. I've been in the church my entire life. I'm about to be 26 years old, okay, in March 16th. You want to give me a birthday present? I'll take it, okay? <laughs> March 16th, 95, all right? About to be 26 years old, okay? I've been in the church my entire life. This is, this, honestly, this just shows you how more jacked up I am than you. I have heard more sermons already in my life than you will hear the rest of your life. That's probably an accurate statement. And I'm here to tell you tonight what is absolutely, oh my God, what is absolutely wrecking me has been the nearness of God to me in my everyday waking moment. I'm not talking about when we're all together. I love this. This is amazing. I, I really enjoy this. But can I tell you right now, Thursday nights are not the highlight of my week. Like, I love you. Seriously, I do. And I love the feeling I have when the anointing's on me and I'm preaching and it's hot and people are responding and hands are going up and the kingdom of God is expanding. I love all of that, okay? It, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's what makes doing what I'm called to do a lot of fun, okay? But what makes me come alive is when I'm just off in my car. I'm at, like I was yesterday out by the lake. And then Papa just starts talking to me. God just starts speaking in my heart. And that's where I'm at in my relationship with him. I've just begun to, I've just begun to take off the religious trappings that the word God tries to put on him. I'm not, I'm, not I'm not ignoring his deity. I'm acknowledging the relationship. And man, I'm telling you, as I've just begun to just let those internal walls and insecurities down, it has made all the difference in my life. And I'm here to tell you tonight, I'm here to tell you, I am not better than you. I am not further along in this thing than you. I don't have some special thing that God would have a relationship with me. Anything he would dare to let me into, he's begging to let you into. He's desiring with his whole heart to let you into. I pray that you surpass me. Listen to me. I pray that you surpass me in this. And man, I'm telling you, this has just been wrecking me. So that was my brief introduction to John 10, 10. Okay. So if you have a Bible, turn over to John 10, 10. We're all talking about the, this, the life of this series has been talking about that God wants to fill us to the full, that God doesn't want us to be full-ish, as I've been saying, because when we're full-ish, we tend to do foolish things. You know, when we're just settled with, ah, I'm pretty good. No, God doesn't want pretty good. God wants good and only good. God wants the best for you. You understand that, right? You're not, you're not a second-rate citizen in the, in the kingdom of heaven. You don't get hemi-downs, Okay. God has the best. And this is, this is, this is proof positive to that. John 10, 10 says this. G these are the words of Jesus. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The thief, the enemy, okay? And some of you, you need, to, you need to remember this next time you are in a battle, okay? Some of you need to remember this next time you're in between a rock and a hard place. Because one of the things that pisses me off the most, and it does not piss me off at you, okay? And we're at young adults, so we get to talk like this, okay? <laughs> I like it because my filter comes off at young adults, right? One of the things that pisses me off more than anything is when I hear people, and it, honestly, it pisses me off at the devil because it is a lie, from the pit of hell. When I see people going through a hard season, I see people going through a tragedy, I see people going through something really difficult, and all of a sudden they're saying, God, why did you do this to me? Jesus was abundantly clear. There are, there is another camp. There is another team, so to speak, who, who their job, their job is to kill, steal, and destroy. That stuff, listen to me, does not come from God. 
It does not come from God. Some of you, you, you wonder, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Man, I'm not supposed to go here, but I feel like I'm supposed to tackle this for a second. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? You ever ask yourself that? So many good people. So many good people in my life, bad things have happened to. But let's be honest, if we were to have a whiteboard up here and we were to start writing down a bunch of bad things that God has allowed to happen to good people, okay, and we start with like, you know, cancer and babies, I think that would be towards the top of our list of things we want to cross out. So we cross that out. That's never happened. Guess what happens? All of a sudden, a new thing rises to the top of our list. Our angst against God is not cured. Even though he miraculously removed this entire thing, our angst against him. So let's just say for, 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 for fun, we just keep going through the list. We just keep taking them out. Natural disasters. We just keep taking out everything that would, would, would be a bad thing happening to a good person. Guess what happens? Eventually, our list gets so small and our new front burner issue is you. Because guess what? You were a bad thing that happened to a good person at one time. At one point, I was somebody's bad thing that happened to a good person. I'll be real with you. I was, Keenan Clark was the reason somebody was sitting there saying, God, why'd you allow a, good thing, a bad thing to happen to me? I'm a good person. And God says, because I love Keenan Clark. I love him in the middle of his stupidity. I am, not a, I am not saying that what he did to you is okay. I'm saying I'm in the middle of it with you. And God refuses to wipe me off the face of the planet. That is why he allows bad things to happen to good people because he loves bad people. And the thing, the flaw in our question is we're going off of our definition of good. Good people! God is a good guy, really. He was somebody, God, somebody, somebody else was asking God to wipe off the face of the planet when they said, why'd you allow this bad thing to happen to me, such a good person? God would literally, listen to me, if God were to give you this, God would have to wipe us all out. And because he loves us, he doesn't. Bad things happen to good people because God loves people too much. It's the risk of relationship. I don't know who that was for, but that was not in my notes, Okay. So the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, okay? Somebody just got what they came for, okay? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says this, I have come that they may have life. Who's the they? I keep reiterating this, but the they is you. You need to understand this. When you are reading your Bible, you need to take some ownership, okay? You need to take some ownership of your scriptures. You know, one of the best gifts I was ever given was I was given a Bible with my literal Kenan name in it. So instead of he trusts God in all his ways, it says Kenan trusts God in all his ways. Like literally, I'm reading this. You literally need to put yourself in there. You are a child of God. The they here is you. He longs to give you life. He has come. Listen to that language. He has come. He has traveled. He has crossed a universe an ocean and generation upon generation upon generation didn't, get the, didn't let the message get convoluted so that in 2021, right here today on January 21st, your ears would have the chance to hear how much he loves you. Man, he has been good to you. The faithfulness of God has carried the gospel all the way here so that you could hear it. You're the they. This abundant life, this life to the full. Listen to me. It is yours. It is yours. What Jesus is saying here, and I was reading this over earlier, and I was just asking, God, show me something. Because you need to understand that. You need to, you need to ask God to show you new things as you read old scriptures. When you've been around church as long as, as, long as I have, there are a lot of them that are, this is an old scripture. But there's new things. There's new nuggets. And God was saying, what I'm saying right here, Kenan, is I'm not interested in withholding from you. 
The fact that I want to give you a full life means I am not interested, listen to me, in withholding from you. Listen to me, young people. Listen to me. You, you need to understand. I don't care how last night went. Some of you are thinking, yeah, 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 but you know, God kind of knows what I did and who I did it with and that it's still kind of, there's traces of it still in my bloodstream. I do not care. God is not interested in holding back from you. He's not, he's not gonna hold one iota of himself back from you. He longs to give you the whole thing. But here's the problem. This is where I really wanna go for a second, okay? Here's the problem. As long as we are oblivious, okay, and do not realize just how much we are completely and fully, transcendently, scandalously loved by God, we will live the rest of our lives trying to get God to love us. And I don't know about you, but that is a sickening and tiring place to live. Yeah. We'll live the rest of our lives trying to get this God in heaven to give us something he's already given us completely and fully. He does not give his love in pieces. He does not give it in increments. He gives the whole lump sum right off the bat. You have the fullness of God's love, the complete total finished work right at your behalf. But as long as you stay oblivious to it, as long as you stay completely incognito to it, you will live like you don't have it. You got to be aware of what's there. Um, I, some of you have heard me tell this story quite a few times, and that's because you've been doing life with me for a long time, so bear with me, okay? Um, but I'm, there's this, this one moment in my life that just kind of shows this on full display, okay? And uh, when I was, and some of you are going to know exactly where I'm going. When I was in the first grade, um, I was in a play, okay, and I went to a, I went to a, some of y'all are already laughing, forget y'all, man, okay, but I was in a play in the first grade, okay, and I'm going to give you the, the, the abbreviated story, okay, I was in a play in the first grade, and the play was called Giddy Up, Get Along, Gideon, okay, I went to a, I went to a Christian school, a private Christian school, okay, and so the play's called Giddy Up, Get Along, Gideon, and everyone in this, in this school is in this play, and so somehow, miraculously, I landed the lead role in this play as little Gideon. Now, if you're not familiar with Gideon, that just sounds like a random name to you. It's actually a Bible character, okay? He's in the Old Testament, found in the book of Judges, okay? And this was like the story of Gideon in Judges, but set in like West Texas, okay? So this is, is it, was just, it was just gonna be fun. And so I'm Gideon. My mom bought me my first pair of Justin cowboy boots, okay? I wore them with no-show socks. They rubbed me raw, okay? It was so rough, all right? So I remember, I'm in this play, and I remember about, we're about three-fourths of the way through this play. I've been in every single scene. I've been up there. At this point, I'd already sung a solo, okay? And my solo was called Give Me a Sign, all right? And uh, some, uh, Lauren Ramirez sometimes comes up to me, and she'll start singing it to me in the voice I sang it in. It was, it, I was in the first grade, okay? It was like, it, only dogs could hear how high-pitched this was, okay? So... <laughs> And it cracked and it was horrible, but I was cute. I was in the first grade. So I'm sitting there. All this has already transpired. I've been up on the stage over and over and over and over. And I'm sitting there. And we're about three-fourths of the way through this play. And I remember I'm in a scene with one of my friends. And while I'm in this scene, I see this girl in the audience, okay? And I'm like, bang, okay? I was like, holy moly. Some of y'all were looking like you're falling asleep, so I was getting you back, okay? Okay. You may not get anything, but you're not going to be bored, all right? You're going to leave with a spirit of fear. I'm just playing. No, we're casting that out. We're casting that out right now. In Jesus' name. These are the Bible jokes. All right. So I'm sitting there. I see this girl. I'm like, my eyes are bugging out of my head, right? I'm like, and to be honest with you, I don't normally tell this, but I thought it was Lindsay Lohan, okay? And the only movie I had seen her in was Parent Trap. So I'm like, where's the other one? You know what I mean? 
And then I was like, wait, I'm not a polygamist. I only need one. You're good. All right. You know what I mean? Which one are you? You know? And so I'm sitting there and I see this girl and I'm like, dang, like, I got to get her to notice me. Like, I got to walk out of here. She's my shorty. Okay. And so I'm sitting there and I formulate, okay. And, and guys, I'm just going to be real with you. I'm going to keep it frank. Uh, we're numbskulls. Okay. We're idiots. And first grade or 100 years old, it's the same, all right? I'm still learning these lessons to this day, okay? Except now I'm doing this with my wife, obviously, keeping it appropriate. But so I'm sitting there, and I think I need to get this girl's attention. So I start to think of all the things I could do, like a move on the stage I could do. But you have to understand, I'm a Clark, and Clarks are not very coordinated. And I know this from a young age, right? Okay? My dad had pounded it into me. He's like, son, you're not coordinated. Don't try anything, okay? And so I'm sitting there. And I think, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bob my head like this, and that'll get her to notice me. It worked for LL Cool J in a music video I saw once, or, you know, I don't know, Vanilla Ice, okay? And I was like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get her to notice me. So I'm sitting there in the middle of this play. There is no music going on at all, and I literally do this. No music, okay? I do not look like Vanilla Ice at all, okay? I look more like, like Woody the Woodpecker or something like that. I'm just like packing a hole, okay, at my best friend, just desperately trying to get this girl to notice me, okay? Now listen to me, listen to me. If 25, almost 26-year-old Kenan could like go back in time, I would grab young first grade Kenan and I would say, Kenan, um, you are the lead in this play. You've been in every scene throughout this play. You had a solo, okay, and you sang so good, okay? Your name is the first name on the bulletin that young woman received when she walked through the double doors of this church, okay? Listen to me, bro. She saw you way before you ever saw her. And you know, I think that's kind of a funny story and a tragic story at the same time because I left with no phone number, you know? <laughs> I didn't know how to work a phone anyway. And so, but the truth is this, listen to me. Most of us treat our relationship with God exactly like that. All of a sudden, we make it into our 20s, our young adult years, and we're like, man, I need to get this God to kind of like, I, need, I probably need to have a relationship with him. So we start showing up to church. We start reading our Bible. We start doing all these little glitz and gr glamorous religious things, trying to get him to notice us when, listen to me, he has never taken his eye off of you one second in your entire life. Let me, let me tell you right now, God saw you, he noticed you, and way above all of that, he loved you way before you loved him, way before you loved him. Man, as long as we are still convinced that we've somehow got to get God to kind of notice us, like God, you, you know, sometimes that's why we pray on our knees. My God, I'm going to show you I'm serious this time. L listen to me, you're not, you're not impressing him. You've already impressed him by the fact that you want to talk to him. The fact that you even want to look his way says so much to his papa heart. I'm telling you, he's not just some distant, far-off God in the cosmos. He is an intimately acquainted with every nook, cranny, and fiber of your being father. Yeah. That is who he is. Yeah. There is no demon in your closet that can scare him. That's right. There is nothing about you that frightens him. You understand that, right? Yeah. There is nothing about you that intimidates him. Can we let that settle in for a moment? There is nothing about you. The things that intimidate you about you. Do you have things about you that intimidate you? Like things you think are going to ruin your own life about you? I've had those things. Little tendencies, little wanderings, little things in my mind. that I'm like, man, if that, doesn't, if that goes unchecked, I think at about 45, I have a good chance of ruining things. 
You ever have those little things that try to eat at you about yourself? God's not intimidated by that. He's not scared of it. And listen to me, this is why I'm talking to you about this. And this is what I really felt the Lord lay on me. The parrot, I know this is a big word. The paradigm that you see God, yourself, and the world through changes everything. The paradigm, listen to me, the paradigm that you see God, you understand you have a paradigm that you look through. Some of you are looking at me like, what the heck's a paradigm? Okay, does it mean I have 20 cents? No, okay, a a pair of dimes, yeah. Anyway, a paradigm, a paradigm, listen to me, a paradigm is the lens in which you see the world. It's the framework for how you view your own existence, God's existence, and humanity's existence. Every single one of us, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Every single one of us have a paradigm that we use to relate to ourselves, to relate to God, and to relate to one another. The paradigm you look through, your litmus test, if you will, has the potential to make it to where you can be everything God's called you to be, or you completely miss out and self-sabotage and go down a path you don't want to go. I'm telling you, the power of a paradigm is so powerful. I, I was listening to one of, my, uh, one of my favorite speakers recently, and he told this story. He's talking on the power of a paradigm, and he told, he told this story about one time when he was, he was preaching at this church conference, and he got done preaching, he stepped off the stage, and I just want you to understand what the, the power of a paradigm. This is why I'm telling you this story. And the man, the pastor's standing down at the, down at the altar, and this, this woman comes up, and he actually knew the woman. This woman comes up, and her head's down, and she's crying so hard. She literally can't stop sobbing, so she, she walks up to the pastor, and obviously he cares for her. He says, ma'am, what, what, what's, what's going on? Can you, can you talk to me? And she says, through my entire life, she's kept her head down this whole time, in my entire life, the whole time when I was a little girl, every night, I would pray to God to change the color of my eyes. She'd get on her knees right by her bed when she was five years old, when she was six years old, when she was seven years old, and she would say, God, please turn my eyes to blue. God, please turn my eyes to blue. She said, I, 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 I can't remember how many times I've prayed this prayer when I was a little girl. And she said, the reason that I prayed that prayer is because my dad was an alcoholic. And when he would get upset, he was a raging alcoholic. He was not one of these false sleep happy alcoholics. He was a raging alcoholic. And when he would hit the sauce, all of a sudden he would say things to me. And one of the things he would say to me is he said, you're worthless. I don't care about you. And your eyes are the color of cat shit. I agree. He'd look at her and he'd look at this little six-year-old girl. He says, your eyes are the color of cat shit. Every day, he said when she was five years old, six years old, seven years old, this is what she heard her, her raging alcoholic father tell her. So she'd go to her room and get on her hands and knees and say, God, please, please change my eyes to blue so my dad will love me. Change my eyes to blue. She's crying, telling the pastor this story. And she looks up to the pastor with tears rolling down her face. And the pastor looks into the most beautiful blue eyes he'd ever seen. And so obviously he's sitting there bewildered. He says, oh my gosh, God answered your prayer. Like he is so good. He saw you in the middle of that moment and he answered your prayer. And she said, no, pastor, my eyes were this color all along and I never knew it. That right there is the power 
of a paradigm. A paradigm builds how you see yourself and how you see the world. And I'm here to tell you tonight, there are some of you, your paradigm of God has been nothing but telling you your eyes are the color of cat shit. When you can finally change the color of your eyes, then I'll love you. When you finally turn your life around, when you finally get it all together, and, the, and this lie has penetrated the core of your being, and you're sitting there praying that God would change things about you, he created God, if you would just made me a little bit more like this, if you'd have just done this, if you'd just changed this, and God says, no, 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 I didn't, I, didn't ma- I didn't make a mistake when I stuck you in that family. I didn't make a mistake when I, when, I, when I walked hand in hand with you through that season. I was not at a distance. I was not austere. I was not aloof. I was not missing an action. I was right there. Man, the power of our paradigm can begin to, sh- listen to me, it begins to shield us begins to shield us from the truth about us. And listen to me, for some of you tonight, the enemy has thrown lie after lie after lie, and you have allowed it to build the paradigm. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. You have allowed it to build the paradigm that you see yourself and you see God through. For months now, I have been chipping, hammering away at this false God you and I were given as children. This God who is hard to please, he is militant, he just wants perfection and and some sort of exterior holiness that the rest of the world can look at and feel bad about themselves about. That is not our God. It's not our God. I said it a moment ago, but he is an intimately involved father. And he did not, listen to me, he did not mess up when he made you. He didn't mess up. Says, the Bible says this, and this is such a familiar passage, but you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I've told you before, that word fearful doesn't mean that God was afraid when he made you. It, that word actually means reverently. Do you understand? God had reverence when he made you. It was a reverent thing for God to do. You understand, we, rever, reverence is something that we have towards God. We, we come in reverently. We, what does it mean? It means honor. We honor, we're reverent around the presence of God. You were hammered that as children. I was hammered it as a child. You understand God was reverent. He took it with honor upon himself to fasten you in your mother's womb. Let that settle in. The paradigm in which you look at God through has the ability to change everything. And here's the problem. For many of us, our theology is the problem. You understand what theology is, right? Theology is what you believe about God. It's your belief system about God. It's, 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 it, it, this is a big word, doctrine, okay? It's what you hold true about God. You have a theological stance, whether you know it or not. You may not be able to spell the word theology, but you do, okay? Sometimes I have a hard time with it, okay? Our theology, for many of us, what we believe about God, what we believe about Scripture, has built this faulty paradigm that we look at every facet of our lives through. You know, a lot of us, we, we grew up in church where we heard that, there, that, that human beings at their core, this is a doctrine, okay? There, there's a facet of the church that believes this, that human beings at their core are completely, and this is the word they used, depraved. Completely depraved. What does that mean? It means there is absolutely nothing good about human beings. 
That's literally what this, this doctrine believes. And they hammered into us. They, they sang songs about it. I am just a worm. I'm, I'm just a worm that God loves. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a piece of crap that somehow God has an affinity for. Listen to me, that is so far from the truth. So far from the truth. We, we hold this idea, you've heard the saying, to err is human. Have you ever heard that? People say that. To err is human. They, make, they say it to make you feel better. Um, that... That is actually a very low definition of what it means to be human. The biblical definition of being human, which I think should take precedence because God kind of holds the patent on humanity. He made it, okay? I think we should take our definitions from him, okay? But the truth about humanity is that you were made in his image. Listen to me, listen to me. This was blowing my mind earlier and I pray it hits you like it hit me. Would you, do you believe that God can't be anything other than anything that is good? Does anyone believe that tonight? That God is good and only is, uh, anything he is a part of is good. He is good. All in and of himself, all the time, God is good. If God is going to be anything, he is good. You believe that, right? Listen to me. God became human. He became a human. God would never become anything he would not call good. And God became a man. We live with this reality that we at our core are a piece of trash. And, it's, and that is why we let ourselves get off by living lesser than God's called us to live. Well, at my core, I'm just a sinner. At my core, I'm, just gonna, I'm always going to have a propensity to wonder. And that gives you a license to live lesser than you were called to. And we chalk it up to just being human. I'm here to tell you that definition of being human is actually subhuman. It's called, you know what that is? That theology has dehumanized you. You know what the gospel came to do? Rehumanize you. The gospel has come that you might be rehumanized. God wants to make you fully human. And you are made in his image. I want to look at some scripture real quick. Uh, John chapter uh, 1 verse 14. This is some proof that God became a man. It says this, in the word, the word became flesh. Listen to that. The word, that, that word right there. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the living, breathing word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became a man. And you and I hold this super low view of humanity. Listen to me. The fact that God came to planet earth is proof positive that God sees human beings with more dignity than humans do it means there was worth something worth saving. There was something there worth saving. God could have scrapped the whole thing and started over. And he said, no, there's something there. There's something of dignity, dignity there. In fact, it has my image on it. You know what the gospel is? It's God's commitment to not let one thing that's held in his image go to waste. God is committed to that which has been made in his image and you have been made in his image. I'm not willing for anything that was made in my image to wander off and be destroyed and be cut off from me. No, if it's made in my image, it belongs to me. And no demon in hell can hijack it forever. Some of us, I've, I've talked about this before, but we have this picture of, of the gospel that what God was doing was he was taking out all of his anger that he had toward us because of our sin. And he was taking it out on Jesus so that he wouldn't have to whip our butts. That he beat the crap out of Jesus so he didn't one day when you step over into eternity have to beat the tar out of you. And if you'll just believe that what he did to Jesus is enough, then he won't, then you'll get to go to heaven. 
And I'm telling you, that version of the gospel doesn't sound like Jesus came to save us from our sin. It sounds like he came to save us from God. No, God was in Christ. You know, what, you know what the gospel is? The gospel is a knight in shining armor going after his damsel in distress. I'm here to tell you, I don't care what movie or, or a thing you've seen, there is not one time that the knight rescues the damsel and then beats her up for getting kidnapped. No, he attacks whatever kidnapped her. I'm telling you, God came after you. He stormed the castle. That was the wrath of God on full display at everything that kept you away from him. I know for some of you, this is completely revolutionizing the way that you see God. It's been revolutionizing the way I relate to God. And I pray that you let this, that some of you, you're, you're like, I don't even know if I can believe this. Chase this rabbit hole. Chase it. I promise you, as you begin to unfold this thing, as God begins to unfold his goodness, that there has never been one moment he has been anything other than good to anyone on the face of the planet, you'll begin to trust him. The paradigm of trust will begin to be rebuilt. But until that old paradigm that says you're just a worm, you're just a sinner saved by grace, that's all you'll be. And you'll live in sin cycles and you'll live with regret and you'll live hurting other people instead of stepping into the dignity that no, I, don't I no longer look at myself through that paradigm. I no longer live beneath what I was called to live and I'm no longer subhuman. I'm stepping into the full humanity that Jesus died for me to live in. Man, this is, this is revolutionizing me, man. I hope this isn't going over your head. It's so good. Let's turn to Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Genesis 1, 26. It says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Now, listen to me. This is something that hit me really hard. It doesn't say, let me make man in our image. That's how I believe creation happened, was that God was saying, hey, I'm about to make man in our image. That yes, he was, he was telling the Trinity that, but then it was kind of him as a little solo act. God the Father did it all by himself. No, listen to me. You were made by six hands. You were made by six hands, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each one giving you their stamp of approval. You were made, you were crafted. And I'm not saying that you don't have hangups. I'm not saying that, 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 that you, you are perfect inside and out, but I'm saying you at your core, the truth of your being, regardless of how you live out that life, the truth of who you are, as you were made in the image of God. Listen to me, somewhere along the way, we, this is what preachers and, and a lot of us do. Somewhere along the way, we act like a Bible verse happens where God says, man is no longer made in our image. That, that's the way we act. We read, yeah, we were made in the image of God. And then somewhere along the way, particularly around Genesis chapter 3, where the fall happens and Eve you know, takes the fruit, sin enters the world, we act like God said, hey, just want to make everybody aware there's been, a, there's been a change of plans. A man is no longer made in our image. He has completely mutilated himself. And he looks nothing like us anymore. No, you, we are still, we are still made in the image of God. And I'm telling you, God is committed to keeping that which has been stamped in his image. He is committed to keeping you close to him. Regardless of how committed you are to staying close to him, he is committed to staying close to you. Man, I pray that you are letting this go deep in your heart tonight. I pray that you are having, that, what is this gonna do to the way we see the world? What is this gonna do to the way we interact with people? We don't treat anyone as subhuman and to treat them as subhuman is to treat them like God doesn't love them. 
that we have something they don't. I'm here to tell you, they have just as much of God as you do. You've just recognized it. They're living oblivious to it. Can you imagine the hurt? Can you imagine the lie they keep retelling themselves that that inner voice of a drunken father driving it into them that they're ugly and they're messed up and they're not what they actually are? And I'm telling you, Jesus came to reveal to you the face of God. And when he revealed the face of God, he revealed who you really are. See, some of us, we have this idea that and some of you, you're, you're, you're sifting through your, 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 your scriptures right now to try to debunk this, okay? And a lot of, uh, one of the scriptures that gets thrown at us as, as children is, uh, the Lord is too holy to look upon sin. Have you ever heard that verse? Somebody threw that, the Lord's too holy. Hey, brother, the Lord's too holy to look upon sin. Once you get your life right, I'm telling you, the, the favor of God will come back on your finances, on your family, on your health, because the Lord's too holy. He has is, he is, he is taken his hand off of you. It's too holy to look upon sin. You're in sin. And that is literally, that is a quote from Habakkuk, but they did not finish the quote. And I want us to finish the quote because I think it'll liberate us. Habakkuk chapter one, verse 13, it says this. Your eyes, Lord, are too, ho- are too pure to look on evil. Can we throw it up? Who's, who's ever on the computer? Habakkuk 1, 13. Sweet. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you? Tolerate those who are treacherous. We've been told God's too holy to look upon sin. And Habakkuk had this moment where he said, man, God, I am not living like I'm a person you love. I am, I, I, people are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. I know you are high, you are mighty, you are the great and almighty say, uh, creator, and your eyes are too pure to look upon sin. And then he has this perplexed moment where he goes, so why do you keep doing it? Why do you keep looking at people? Your eyes are too pure to look at. And God says, it's because I see something in you. You don't. I see me. I see my image. And I'm committed to saving that which I have made. Man, I'm telling you, we have to take our Bibles in in, 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 in what they actually mean. We have to take it in context. Listen to me. I've, I've said this before, but it'll help you remember. When you take the text out of context, all you're left with is a con. If you take the text out of context, all you're left with is a con. What's a con? It's a lie. Okay? If you take the Bible, I told you last week, your Bible will lie to you if you want it to. Your Bible can, you can find all sorts of arguments for whatever, but you have to take it in context in the heart of God. And you have to understand where things were at in the narrative of humanity. Man, I'm telling you, God has a high regard, a high regard for his image. And he holds you in high regard. You are fearfully and reverently made. You are reverently made. I want to really kind of wind the plane down right here. And I want to talk about this for a moment because we're talking about, we're talking about the paradigm. The paradigm that you see God through and the paradigm that you see yourself through. And listen to me, freedom, freedom happens. Freedom exists when the way of your being matches the truth of your being. Now let that settle in, because that, that can sound like, ooh, Keenan, you're sounding philosophical. It's really not that philosophical. Break it down in your mind. When the way, listen to me, the way of your being matches the truth of your being. Now some of you have been living lesser, listen to me, you've been living lesser than a person made in the image of God. That does not change the truth that you were made in the image of God. 
It means the way of your being doesn't match the truth of your being. And I'm telling you, when we get solidified, I'm telling you, God is doing this in me. He is solidifying things in me that I'm literally, I'm walking around. Some people will call it arrogance. I'm just calling it life in Christ, man, that I'm walking around with some boldness. I'm walking around believing for things. I'm walking around accessing the presence of God where people never thought they could access the presence of God because I'm daring to believe it's real. I'm daring to believe that he's fascinated with me. I'm daring to believe that he's obsessed with me. I'm daring to believe that no matter what I do, come hell or high water, he is committed and able to keep me. And I'm telling you, when you believe that the truth, when you begin to know the truth of your being, it will change the way of your being. You know what religion said? Religion says this, change the way of your being dictates the truth of your being. However you act, that reveals who you are. Have you ever heard somebody say, man, Jonathan and I have talked about this so many times. I love you, man. So many times, but have you ever heard somebody say, who you really are is who you are when nobody's looking. Honestly, I think that's been some of the times I was the furthest from who I really am when no one was looking. People do that to try to shame you. People do that to try to uh, uh, get you to change immediately and try to make you feel ashamed of who you are and what you did when you were in the dark or what you did when everybody had their back turned. I'm here to tell you that is not the truth of your being. The truth of your being is that you are loved and you are stamped with the approval of heaven. I'm not saying everything you've ever done was stamped with heaven's approval. Come on. But it's the truth of your being That's right. that begins to affect the way of your being. I want to read this scripture. This is what Jesus says. You're familiar with this passage, but it says this, John 8, 32. Jesus says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. That's how many of us quote it. The truth's going to set you free. No, 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 no. It says you will know the truth. It's not this ambiguous truth that comes and finds you and unlocks you from your chains and your shackles. It's the truth that you welcome. Say, God, I'm going to partner with what you're telling me right now. I am not. See, what, what is happening right now is a lot of what I'm saying is hitting what I would want to call the tuning fork of your heart. And something on the inside of you is going, yes, that's me. That's for me. And now what has to happen is this idea, this theology, this truth has to now survive the migration to your mind, your Bible Belt, Christian kumbaya steeped mind. The tuning fork has been hit. I know that's the truth. And now I've got to let it sift through the lies that lies six inches between my ears. You know, that's the, di- that's the, that's the distance between heaven and hell. It's not, it's not chasms far. It's six inches right there. Man, God. I'm going to believe the truth of my being. I'm telling you, as you begin to step in to the truth that I I, I don't have to do that. You know why I don't cheat on Beth? It's not because I'm militant. It's not because I want to avoid embarrassment. It's not because I've got, I've got too much to lose. And I'm I'm sad to say, but that is why a lot of ministers aren't cheating on their wives. It's because they've got too much to lose. That's a sad excuse. It's a sad excuse. I pray to God I never become that man. But the reason I don't cheat on my wife is because I know the truth about Keenan Clark. And the truth about Keenan Clark is he loves, he loves, he is faithful and committed the rest of his life to that woman. The truth of my being dictates the way of my being. You know why I don't watch pornography? 
It's not because I'm militant and I've got a bunch of crap on my computer that won't let me access it anymore. The, the P and the O and the R and the N have been ripped out of my keyboard. No, it's not why. I don't have parameters on my phone. I don't have to have those things. Why? Because I know the truth about my being and the truth about Keenan Clark is he does not objectify women. I don't stoop so low as to see another woman made in the image of God be put to shame, be abused, and be, be, be put in a way that I know in a, in, a, in a more clear state of mind she would not, she would not be okay with. If she knew what I knew about her, she wouldn't be okay with it. The truth of my being dictates the way of my being. And I'm, I'm here to tell you tonight, if you will let this truth down to the deepest crevices and pockets, of, and pockets of your soul, I'm telling you, there's so many of you, trying to, you're trying to win the fight. You're trying to get over the addiction. You're trying to quit getting, go, going back and answering those snaps. You're trying to quit going back to those websites. You're trying to quit the relationship. You're trying to quit all these things. And I'm here to tell you, freedom's not found in that. You know, one of the things that I've told many guys and listen to me, many guys come up to me and, and, and talk to me, man, Ken, I'm just, I'm dealing with porn. I need some help. So listen to me. If that is you tonight, I want you to know, I love you. I love you fiercely. You are not alone. You are not disgusting. You are not, you, you are not a sad excuse for a man. Listen to me. I love you. I know how hard it can be. Many guys come up to me and they'll admit, they'll tell me and I, I say, hey man, chances are, listen to me. Okay. I love you. I'm going to pray for you. We want to, we want to beat this, but here's where it starts the next time you watch porn, because you're going to do it again. I'm not giving you permission to do it again. I just know you. This one conversation with me is not going to stop it. Next time you do it, I want you to think of this conversation and I want you to say out loud while, the, while it's still going, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I want you to say it out loud as you're watching it. In the face of it. I want you to declare, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you find yourself going back and you're, you're, you, you guys know what I'm talking about, that tug of war with yourself. I want you to declare in that moment as you watch that, I am the righteousness of God. Because why? It's as we embrace the truth of our being that it changes the way of our being. And right now, I just want to create a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed. And this is not a moment where we're trying to get ritualistic and super religious. I'm just doing this out of privacy and concentration. I had a lot more I wanted to give you. I had a lot more I wanted to give you, but I'll save it. Listen to me. As long as the truth of your being is in question, the way of your being will always be questionable. Let me say that again. As long as the truth of your being is in question, the way of your being will always be questionable. And tonight, I want you to understand that with beyond a shadow of a doubt, the truth of your being, that you are loved, you are accepted, that God looks at you with dignity, not disgust. He sees you, his grace is sufficient in your miry clay, and he's ready to pull you out and set your feet upon a rock but it's the truth that you know. That word know is an intimate word. It means to be intimate with the truth. You gotta be intimate with the truth. You gotta let this truth seep in. And right now, if you're ready to let that truth, the truth of your being stand up inside of you, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time that you are one that Jesus died for, that he loves and that he wants to have a relationship with and you have nothing to be ashamed of, you have nothing to be disgusted with and you're ready to say, you know what, I'm ready. I'm ready to say yes to that truth. 
Maybe it's your first time or the first time in a long time. I just want you to shoot your hand up when I count to three. One, God loves you. Two, come on, right now is your moment. Three, don't hesitate. Come on, if that's you, yes, 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 yes. Come on, anybody else, come on, do not let this moment pass you by. Yes, yes, I see that hand. Amen, amen, yes, yes, come on, yes. Amen, yes, I see that hand back there. Amen, amen, yes. I'm gonna pray for you and then we're gonna call it an evening. Lord, I just thank you right now. Lord, I thank you for your power, your grace, Lord, your love. Lord, that it is bigger than the way we see ourselves. It is bigger than the paradigms that the devil has built for us, that people have built for us, our shame has built for us. Lord, I thank you that you completely and totally demolish, demolish, destroy those paradigms that people have been looking at you and been looking at themselves through. And I say the truth, the truth of their being stands up right now. The truth of who they are, that they are loved. They are loved right here and right now. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, I thank you for those struggling. Lord, there are those in this room right now who didn't raise their hand. They're struggling to believe this. They've got so much theology. They got so much pounded away into them. This transactional theology pounded into their brain that they can't simply grasp around the truth that you love them, that they're made in your image regardless of what they've done. They're not powerful enough to taint that image. Lord, I pray for that heart right now that's having a hard time believing this, that didn't raise their hand. I pray for them and I pray that you just penetrate it. And Lord, I thank you that you just begin to massage that into their hearts. Lead them, Lord. Oh, Jesus. I thank you for it right now. It's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 Come on, can we put our hands together for what God just did? <laughs>